morning, community of faith. How you doing? Yeah. You know, even though I don't know every single one of you in this room, I do know something about each and every one of you. All of us in this room have been hurt because there's no way that you can go through this old world of ours without being hurt. Some of you very, very deeply. In fact, I know some of your stories and some of you have been hurt to... uh, such a level that other people in this room wouldn't even hardly be able to to comprehend. And one of the things that I wanted to tell you this morning is that those feelings that you have that come along with the hurt that you've experienced are so very valid. Simon Wiesenthal was a Jew under Hitler's occupation of Poland and he was carted off with others to one of the concentration camps there. It was the middle of February, 1945. They were just in open boxcars and it was freezing cold. Only half of the people survived the trip to the concentration camp. Weisenthal was there cleaning out an old barn that the, the Nazis were using as a makeshift hospital and a nurse came and grabbed him by the hand and pulled him over to a hospital bed and there was a young Nazi SS trooper there who was dying. You could see he still had part of his face was, was damaged and, and you could see that he was weak and that he seemed to be getting weaker. And he said to Simon Weisenthal, he said, I asked the nurse to have a Jewish person come to me because I need to confess before I die what I've done to the Jews. And he began to tell Weisenthal in his voice that was weakening even as he talked he, he talked about his upbringing and and his innocence as a, a kid but then how he joined the SS and finally the horrific story of how they burned the houses of the Jewish people in his town and as the little children and the parents ran out they machine gunned them all down and he said please before I die please forgive me Simon Weisenthal wrote about this in his book called The Sunflower, and Weisenthal said he looked into the young man's eyes, maybe 21 years old, dying. He jerked his hand away, and he turned, and he stalked out of the room. No forgiveness offered. Now, in his book, 21 prominent people responded because Weisenthal asked, was that the right thing to do? And all 21 said it was exactly the right thing to do in that moment. If you had done anything else, it would have diminished the Holocaust. You know, I know not all of us have been hurt to the level that Weisenthal was hurt. He lost 86 family members. He saw people around him dying every day. But all of us have been hurt deeply. And we have those feelings and those wounds and those hurts. We have those grudges that we're holding. I want us to look this morning at what Jesus said to do with all of that, okay? And and so I want you to pull out your sermon notes with me if you would, because we're going to look at a whole different perspective than maybe uh, you've thought about when we look at this subject today. Peter, in the passage we're going to look at, comes to Jesus, and obviously someone has heard him repeatedly, and he says to Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother seven times now 
Peter's trying to supply an answer already, right? Um, the Jewish rabbis of the day said, depending on how deep the offense was that was toward you, you had to forgive at least three times. And Peter, knowing Jesus, he's thinking, well, Jesus, he always goes above and beyond, and so I'm gonna double it and add one more, you know? And, and I think Jesus is gonna be pleased with this. And so he's telling Jesus, since forgiving someone is to do them a favor, I think I can bend toward them seven times. I want you to write this down. It's there in your notes. Whenever someone wrongs you, there is a debt in your relationship. Whenever someone wrongs you, there's a debt in your relationship. They owe you. That's why we say, you owe me an apology. So we hold on to this debt and we begin to make a case for it. And we wait for the person who hurt us to come on their knees and say, let me pay you back. And we feel justified to hold on to this debt because after all, we're the victims. So we wait and we build our case. The memories of that hurt come and we get angry all over again. Why should I do them the favor of forgiving them when I don't owe them, they owe me. You owe me and I'm gonna wait until you come begging for forgiveness. It totally makes sense. Peter asking how far do we, I have to go when it's them that owes me and Jesus having been asked this very specific question does a really Jesus kind of thing. He just starts telling the story. And at first everybody's thinking, well, I guess he just ignored that question, you know, off on a tangent again. But let's look at the story, okay? It's up on the screen, it's in your Bible, Matthew 18, 23 through 35. Jesus said this, Peter asked him, how many times? He says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves and when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, a talent was the, the largest unit of currency in that day. It was equal to about 20 years of a day laborer's wage. So it would take a day laborer 20 years to earn one talent. In fact, it was a large amount of gold. It was an amount that uh, all of Galilee, taxed by the Romans, would turn in with all of their taxes, about 300 talents a year. And this man owed the king, in, in Jesus' story, 10,000 talents. I think another thing we need to realize is a talent was the highest form of currency, the highest unit, largest unit of currency. And 10,000 is the largest Greek number. I don't know if you knew that or not. So what Jesus is saying, he said the largest and the largest, that's what he owed. Basically, if in our day we would say he owed him a trillion dollars or something like that, okay? Something just unbelievable. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. This was really common in that day. I want you to put yourself in this guy's place for a minute. If you couldn't pay back your debt, the law said that you could be sold and your family to get some of the money back. Now this wasn't gonna make very much of it back, but imagine going to the auction block and you being sold off to one family, your wife being sold off to somebody else, each of your children being sold and you're never really to see each other 
ever again. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. I mean, really? He's going to repay everything? I mean, do the math. 10,000 times 20 years of wages, it would take him 200,000 years to pay this king back, okay? And so you would think the king would just go, you silly, foolish man, off to the auction block with you. That's not what he did. Verse 27, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Notice that the king didn't even talk about the utter impossibility of paying it back. He just felt compassion well up in him and he forgave. He canceled the debt. I forgive you. I release you from this crushing unpaybackable, I think that's a new word coined, okay? This unpaybackable thing. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii. A denarius, the singular form, was what? A day laborer got paid for one day's wage. So this guy owes 200,000 years of wages and he goes out and he gets this guy who owes him a hundred days wages and he seized him and began to choke him saying pay back what you owe. Now Roman law actually allowed you to do this. If someone owed you money, you could choke them, literally choke them. The Romans knew what they were doing, didn't they? I mean, get this money, I'm gonna get this money back, right? I'm gonna choke it out of you. Verse 29 is almost a word-for-word replay of the earlier verse, only this time the ending is reversed. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and he began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Now I'm sure Peter at this point is going, and what does this have to do with anything, right? You know, so verse 31, so when his fellow slaves saw What had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? That's a key phrase, the same way that I had mercy on you. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him, and that was gonna take a while, right? That's the story Jesus told, but he didn't leave us to wonder about the application of it because the very next verse, he said, my heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother or sister from your heart. Wow. Peter's thinking probably about two-thirds of the way through this story, I don't think this story is bending my way, right? And then he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat you? Peter's sorry he ever even brought up the subject by this time, right? You mean, if I don't forgive, you're gonna hold me accountable? I mean, they did this to me. What are you talking about, Jesus? Listen, I didn't say this, Jesus did. See, I've heard your stories, truthfully. I've heard your stories and I I get almost as mad as you at the people who hurt you. 
I mean, you're so justified to feel like you feel. Anybody would feel that way. You've been wrong. It's no wonder you feel like you feel and you feel the anger. Make them pay big time, right? That's what it feels like. But Jesus says, my little girl, you've got to forgive. My little son, my little boy, you've got to forgive. Why would God say if you don't forgive, I'm coming after you? I think it's because your loving heavenly father knows that to refuse to forgive is to push the self-destruct button in your life. Jesus said, what happened to that man will happen to you unless you learn to forgive. The torturers will come and take you away and torture you. What torturers? The hidden torturers of anger and bitterness that eat your insides out. The tortures of frustration and, and malice that give you ulcers and high blood pressure and migraine headaches and lower back pain. The tortures that make you lie awake at night on your bed and think of every rotten thing that's ever been done to you in your life. The tortures of a bitter, unforgiving heart that sucks all the joy out of the present moment when we fail to forgive God doesn't have to lock us up in jail we do it to ourselves we lock ourselves in a jail of torment and hurt and we rehearse the hurt over and over and over there are millions of people today who have imprisoned themselves in anger and the torment of resentment now as believers a lot of times people will kind of come and give you little cliches and say, well, you shouldn't feel that way, you know. Uh, uh, Christians don't feel that way, and so what do we do as Christians? We think, well, I'm not gonna show it, so I'm just gonna stuff it. Wrong answer. In fact, did you know that studies have shown that depression can sometimes be just anger that has been stuffed down? Not always, but sometimes that's what it is. So what do we do this morning? We gotta discover God's truth because only truth will set you free. Peter's wrong assumption about forgiveness. Write this down, forgiveness is not for the benefit of the offender. And this is something that we've never understood before, a lot of us. It's not for the person who has hurt me. Forgiveness is for me. The one who has been hurt. And I'll tell you this, I've seen it down all through my ministry. I've talked to doctors and physicians and others, but I've also seen just as sometimes people come and they ask us to pray for healing. And we just do a lot of that stuff behind the scenes. We don't make a big show about it at Community of Faith, but we've seen many miracles happen. But one of the things I always ask before we pray for healing is do you have a, a grudge? Are you holding something? Because see, we have to ask ourselves this question. Do I want to get well or do I want to get even? Can't do both. You only have a, a limited am, a, amount of emotional energy. In fact, some doctors have said that they could clear out well over 50% of the hospital beds if they could just teach people how to deal with their resentment. 
What's the typical reaction to hurt? When somebody hurts you, the typical reaction is to hurt them back, right? Revenge. Get revenge. Don't get mad. Get even. But here's the thing. I want to just give you a picture. Revenge is like taking a loaded gun and pointing it at your heart so that the recoil can hit the person that you're angry at. It's like going, bam, got you. But what happened to us? What happened to us? Yeah, maybe you got them back, but what happened to your own heart? Resentment has tremendous consequences, physical, emotional, spiritual. And what about our relationships? Write this down. God knows that to hold on to that debt that we're owed, no matter how deep and hurtful it is, is to chain every relationship in your life to that debt going forward. Let me say that again. To hold on to that debt is to chain every relationship in your life to that debt going forward. The Bible talks about a root of bitterness that entwines itself deep down in our soul and, and poisons every relationship in our lives. And you've got to root that out. You see it so clearly if you work with teenagers at all today. Those of you who are school teachers in, in like middle school, high school, those that work with our kids here, it's like there's so much anger in the lives of the kids. And it seems like just generalized anger. They can't quite place what it is, but it's like I'm mad at something. Maybe I'm mad at you, mom, so I'm going to hurt myself and get you back because they haven't quite come to all the little nuanced kind of ways that we've matured and, and grown up, you know, and figured out how to do this. I see it in married couples all the time. Your anger came into this relationship with you. You know, it's pointed at your spouse now. You haven't figured this out yet, but it's true. Your spouse just got in the way of your anger toward a past hurt. And I know, I know, you were hurt terribly. You have every reason to feel like you do, but it's destroying you. It's destroying your relationships. See, you'll never allow the past to be the past until you cancel the debt. Jesus knew in a short time he was going to go to the cross. And at the cross, he was going to forgive our debt, our insurmountable debt, our sins. And they've piled up. And we could go on and on and we could mention all the different sins and things that we've done against God. All those promises we made to him that we haven't kept. But the truth, the truth is that there was a debt that could not be canceled. God had woven it into the fabric of the universe. It's called justice. And God is a just God. And he created a universe where it's woven into the fabric of it. This debt of ours could not be canceled, but not only did he say, I realize that, he said, I'm going to pay it. I'm going to pay it. I will pay it with the very lifeblood of my son. And that's the only way it could be canceled. That explains the cross. That explains everything about it. You know, when you did communion a few minutes ago, 
The very first communion, Jesus raised up the little cup and he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. My blood shed for the forgiveness of many. And that was all of us. Communion is always about remembering. But I think a communion, it's also remember, forgive, remember, forgive. Remember how you were forgiven. Forgive. In the shadow of your hurt, you're justified to hold on to that debt. But in the shadow of the cross, no matter how deep the hurt and pain, we lose our right to refuse to forgive. You see, God hasn't asked you to die for somebody. He's asked you simply to cancel the debt, to refuse, to forgive. No matter how deep the hurt, we become this wicked servant. We've forgotten the cross. And let me ask you a question this morning. How long are you gonna allow people that you don't like that aren't in your life anymore, that might not even be alive, how long are you gonna let those people control your life? How long? Don't continue to allow the people who have hurt you the most to influence your current and future relationships. You can't undo what's been done. It's equally true that you don't have to let that control you now. Remember, your story explains your behavior. It doesn't excuse it. Simon Weisenthal wasn't giving the SS trooper a gift. God was giving Simon Weisenthal a gift, a chance to forgive. When he wrote his book, The Sunflower, it was written 30 years after this incident and he was still as bitter, holding on to this thing. And he held on to it all of his life. I think if we're really gonna forgive this morning though, we've gotta understand a few things because we have a lot of misconceptions about forgiveness. We need to know what forgiveness isn't. For one thing, it isn't minimizing the seriousness of the offense. Some of you, what was done to you? Horrible. There's no minimizing that. I would never minimize the offense because that just makes light of even forgiveness. But it's not about saying, oh, not a big deal. I just, oh, not a big deal. You know, we kind of try to do that sometimes as Americans, just flippantly, we're just gonna go on. It's not a big deal. They hurt me, but it's not, it's a big deal. It's okay. It's a big deal. And you feel the feelings. Forgiveness is not resuming a relationship without changes. Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. You see, forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. Forgiveness is freely given. Trust is earned. So, for example, if you are in a relationship with an alcoholic abusing spouse, You can forgive them, but when they say, so am I back in your life? That's a whole other question, right? That's a different question. That's a question that needs resolving, and there's probably counseling and and, and a lot of other things. There's some boundaries that need to 
be put into place. Forgiveness is based on grace, but trust is earned. Real forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. In fact, there's a, a, a problem. We always say in America, forgive and forget. You know what the problem with that is? To forgive and forget is not possible. That's not how God wired us. You can't do it. It doesn't work. If I told you, you know, I raised up a subject and said, now forget about it. What are you going to do? You're going to be thinking about the subject because you're trying to forget it, right? And, and that's what we, we just, I'm going to forget it. I'm gonna, some of us think if we can get to such a level of Christian maturity that we just forget it, that would be amazing. That's not going to happen. That's not how you, you're wired. Some of you um, may never, ever, many of us, all of us really, will never, ever forget some of these things that have been done to us. The book of Hebrews talks about God forgiving our sins. And it has a really interesting verse in Hebrews 10, 17. It says this, their sin and their evil doing, I will remember no more. That's how God says you forget. You choose to not remember. That means you don't dwell on it, okay? That's helpful, I think. Forgiveness is a, a choice we make, not a, a feeling or a mood. Forgiveness means that we choose not to remember. What about the feelings, though? Corey Ten Boom. She was uh, an amazing writer. She was also in the Nazi concentration camps. But as time went on and she was released, her sister died there. She began to be a, she became a great Christian speaker. And one point in her life, some really close Christian friends really hurt her, really damaged her relation, her, her um, reputation. And, and, and it really, it was a lie and it really hurt her deeply. And she was holding on to it. And then finally she gave it to God and she let it go. But still those feelings would come back. And every time they came back, she would feel them all again. She was sharing that with a, a Lutheran pastor who was a friend of hers. I, I've had a, two sleepless weeks because I, I, I've chosen to forgive, but the feelings come back every night. And I just, uh, he, he said, Corey, it's like this. He said, you know, one of our pastors will go into the big tower back there and he'll grab the rope and he'll begin to pull it and ring the bells and the bells peel out all over town. You can hear the, you know, the, the sound of the bells. And he said, and then he lets go of the rope, but they keep swinging and they keep ringing. But it slowly begins to fade. He said forgiveness is simply letting go of the rope. Those feelings are just the ding-dongs of the bell continuing to move back and forth a little bit. But they slowly diminish. Those feelings slowly begin to change. Don't worry about the feelings. Just don't dwell on it. Keep your hand off the rope. Forgive. Well, how do I do it? I mean, specifically, Mark. How do, you, you want me to forgive today? I want to know specifically how to do it because I am still not sure about this thing. Well, first of all, let's go through the steps. Here we go. First of all, identify who hurt you. You don't forgive generally. Oh, I forgive the whole world for all of the world stuff, you know? Who is it that hurts you? Make a list of who wronged you. Who do you hope you never see again? Who do you have yourself having imaginary 
arguments and conversations with, and it's interesting because I always win those imaginary conversations. I don't know about you. Who would you secretly like to see fail because of what they've done to you? Or who would you like to pay back if you knew you could get away with it? Ex-friends, ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, ex-spouse, work associates. And then number two, and this is really important, identify what has been taken from you. Identify what has been taken, what they owe you. Don't skip this and, and just think, well, I know it's them, I forgive them. What did they take? Until you answer that question, you're not ready to forgive. Remember, it's a debt that's incurred to you. What do they owe you? Do they owe you? How could they pay it back? Is it money? They stole money from you? They swindled you out of something? Is it a friendship? Is it your time? Is it your marriage? Or your reputation? Is it a job? Is it your innocence? Is it the peace of mind that the world is a safe place? They took that from you, never for you to feel that. So you can't cancel a debt and that you haven't clearly identified. And then number three, dismiss the case. Cancel the debt. Refuse to hold that debt against them anymore. After you identify exactly what's been taken, you must cancel the debt. It's not a feeling because you're not going to feel it. It's a choice. That means the offending party doesn't owe you anything anymore. And this is usually where we get stuck because we desperately want to collect, right? Collecting seems like justice. Canceling seems like letting them win. The most difficult hurdle of canceling the debt is the re realization that you can never fully collect. But can you? Can you ever fully collect? Can a man that has abandoned his children ever really replace what he's taken from them? How do you restore time, affection? How, how does a spouse pay back for years of criticism and betrayal? You can't pay back a missing relationship. See, there's an emotional element involved in a hurt that cannot be compensated for through apologies or promises or financial restitution, they cannot really be repaid. The only thing to do is to cancel them. To cling to our hurt while waiting to be repaid is allowing the seeds of bitterness to grow deep into our heart. Here's a big truth, a big biblical truth. Forgiveness is simply a decision to cancel a debt. It is not a feeling. It's a decision. Number four, remind yourself the case is dismissed as often as necessary. Daily at first, those things are gonna come back to your mind. Something will happen that brings back the memories of that hurt. You have a choice then. Usually at that point we do one of two things. We either reopen the case against the person and start to fight it all over again or we try to avoid it and not think about it. 
You can allow the feelings to come out. You don't have to avoid it. But the feelings come out, but you say, God, I've canceled this debt. And you move on. And then the feelings come out, and I've canceled this debt. And you move on. This is what Jesus' whole story is about. Repeating the process as often as necessary. You say, Mark, you just don't understand. You don't. You don't understand what's been done to me. I could never forgive that person. I could never do that. I know that I don't understand. And I'm not sitting up here this morning saying I understand because what's been done to you, I can't understand. But Jesus feels it, gets it, understands. And this one who died for you and canceled all your debts. In fact, while he was on the cross with nails in his wrists and in his feet, he was naked on the cross. There were some people down below gambling for his clothes. And he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them. You can forgive if you have Jesus living in you. Say, Jesus, you gotta give me the power you got to give me the power to do it. Some of you said, well, I would just be a hypocrite if I did that this morning. I don't feel it. Here's another huge biblical truth. Are you ready? Emotion follows motion. Emotion follows motion. When God tells us to do something, when Jesus says, here's what I want you to do, he didn't say, because you feel like it. And it's funny because... We don't do this in most areas of our life, you know? I mean, how many of you are gonna stay home tomorrow from work because if you went, you would just be a hypocrite? You know, we don't do that. We don't even think that way. But we do in our emotions a, a, a lot of times, you know? Emotion follows motion. It, if you're here and ladies, you're, you're, you said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start being romantic toward my husband when I feel romantic toward him again. That's going to be a long wait. Guys, I'm going to be considerate toward my wife when I feel considerate toward her. Again, a long wait. Love is not a feeling. The Bible's real clear. Love is action. Love is patient. Love is kind. All of these things begin to walk through 1 Corinthians 13 and it's all action. Act your way into a new way of feeling. You can't feel your way into a new way of acting. It never happens. Forgiveness, write this down, is not for them. It's for you. Forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. Because I want to say a special prayer over you. And I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this morning. What I'm going to ask you to do is all the, everybody's got their eyes closed, heads are bowed. If you have a deep hurt that you know you need to forgive, I want you just to clench your fist really tight and I want you to hold it up in the air. Some of you need to clench two fists because you've been hurt really bad. Hold both of them up. Clench it hard. Hold it up. Okay, as you're holding it up, keep it up. 
Now here's what I want you to do. You know who it is that hurt you. What is it that they took from you? Now I want you to make a choice and you say this in your mind as I speak it out loud. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I'm a believer. I've got you inside of me. I want you to give me the strength to forgive this. Right now I choose, I don't feel like it necessarily, but I choose to cancel this debt. And I want you just to open your hand. Just open it up if you've done that. You're free. You're free. You're free. You're free to be healed. You're free for God to do what he's been longing to do in your life. You're free for him to forgive your sins. He says if you haven't forgiven, God won't forgive. You're free. Might take a while to feel that, but you're free. Now, it's gonna come to your mind. Maybe it's coming again right now. I canceled that debt. I canceled that debt. Every time it comes in, you've canceled the debt. Would you just let me pray over you, Father? Jesus, you canceled our debt. The debt that we had built up against you, against the universe, against everything that you stand for. And you canceled it all so that we could have relationship with you. And now that we're stepping into this journey full out, God, we want to be like that. This thing's been eating us alive for so long and the hurt's so deep and it's, the feelings are so valid. It's horrendous what was done to us, but God, right now we've chosen by an act of our will, not our feelings, to cancel the debt. And God, as those feelings come back, remind us, let us be reminded that we've canceled the debt and let us walk in that. Let there be a new freedom. Let your blessing pour out of on us that you've been waiting to pour on us. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God in us. Let nothing stop what you have for us going forward. In Jesus' name, amen.